So uh, I was doing my research, going to your favorite site and mine, WrestlingInc.com, when I got trolled to absolute hell. Because you know it'll have like trending on the side where you can look at like stuff that maybe you haven't caught yet, and then more from Wrestling Inc. And I look at that, and it says, like, AEW Dynamite results, Impact sending Mickey James to the Rumble, like, stuff like that. And then it also says, breaking update, Paul Heyman released by WWE. What the fuck? Did that really happen? It did on December 4th, 2006. And the website was like, this is information pertinent to today. And given how WWE's been lately, I was like, yeah, probably. (laughs) Yeah, at this point. So welcome to Fight Boys, a show about professional and not so professional wrestling, and I'm proud to announce my return to the WWE. What? Oh, I've already been released. No, no, yeah, no you're gone. Oh, I'm, okay, I'm already released. Well, ladies and gentlemen, yeah, well. that means tonight on AEW Dynamite, I'm going toe to toe with John Mock. What? No, no. Oh, you, you, you found the tweets and the shoot interviews and the whole lot of stuff. I'm gonna send out some apology tweets saying those views weren't mine, even though I repeated them on numerous high spots DVDs. One of which Scotty Moore owns. <laughs> I'm Blue Boy Blake Tanner. I'm in a blue room and I had a Big Boy edible, so we're gonna see how this goes today. Yeah, Blake's gonna have. I'm. <laughs> Did you notice how I was like, we're just gonna throw Blake. <laughs> under the bus and just steamroll over all of this and move on uh well it's wwe news so we can't really talk about it but he is technically a free agent now which means we can discuss shane mcmahon and the i would argue worst royal rumble i've ever seen and i was at the one roman one live oh i i remember how bad that one was too i i i listen we could just it's the Rumble. We could just say it's bad and talk about it. It's fine. It, I don't know how. <laughs> According to everyone online, Drew McIntyre was one of the surprises, which I didn't even realize because, you know, we don't watch uh, WWE. Uh, so Drew was a surprise. And then the other two sh- surprises were Shane McMahon, who single-handedly ruined the Rumble by eliminating a favorite in Kevin Owens. Uh, and also Bad Bunny was there. Wow, that's really sparse pickings for the Rumble, huh? Yeah, those were the three big surprises. And then I guess Brock. But How long has Drew been out? I mean... Drew's been out for a few, I guess. Um, I don't... Dude, I don't fucking know. Um, But I do love how I described it. I said, Brock is considered a surprise by the press, but to me, he more seemed like a grim proclamation of the future. Ah, yes. From the moment I heard his music, I could see where the next six months were going. It was uh, laid out bare. It's the same exact thing happened during the Women's Rumble, which had the exact opposite problem. I like how Dylan's not here, so we're trying to get in all the wwe talk the women's problem had the exact opposite issue whereas the men's had no surprises the women's like always was excessively reliant on old people coming back which for people like mickey james kicks ass um for melina it kicks ass even though she got dumped out within like a second <laughs> um the only problem is when you start bringing back like kelly kelly and summer ray who no offense to them they were never particularly known as great professional wrestlers during their time with the Federation. No, um, that is true. And when you have to rely on bringing back a bunch of old talent, and your old talent was all just, like, drawn from beauty contests, it's not gonna turn out well for you. Just make it a 20-person rumble. It's not hard. Is it old John Laurinaitis running talent things again? But I don't fucking know. I, like, I'm pretty sure he is. I've heard that through the grapevine, and that doesn't surprise me now. Watching the Royal Rumble felt like going back to an old ex and being like, well, you know what? I, I remember it being okay, and then walking in the door, and them screaming in your face and throwing a knife at the wall, and you're like, you know what? Now I remember 
why I left. I remember why I left. <laughs> yep. Apparently, people were pissed because this is the first uh, Rumble in a long time where both Rumbles um, that wasn't produced by Triple H or Tyson Kidd. Yeah. Uh, actually, I believe that is why Nia Jax did not return, was because Tyson was not producing the uh, women's rumble. The men's rumble was, of course, going back to the story that starts it all, was produced by Shane McMahon, who got so much heat for it, brother, brother, that he was quietly let go from the company. A McMahon has been fired by the WWE. <laughs> You know what? If any of the McMahons were going to be the sacrificial lamb, Shane would go first. I'm not the biggest fan of this individual, but Shane McMahon did book himself to win a striking contest against Matt Riddle, a legitimate (laughs) UFC fighter, and then he eliminated Kevin Owens. Also, the other big favorite to win, Big E, I genuinely did not see get eliminated. It was he could still be in the rumble. He was in. He could still be in it. I <laughs> that might be it. I I was playing Hades the whole time, and so that shows how bad of a rumble it was. Is that I was only half paying attention, and it was still enough for me to be like, "Fuck, holy shit, dude!" The uh, only good thing um, of the show was Rollins and Reigns because there's always like on the rumble one championship match. That fucking kills. So, like, Reigns, Owens last year. We've talked ad nauseum about uh, Rollins, Lesnar, Cena, AJ, Cena. There's always a banger. The only problem with this one is the fact that they said uh, Vince decided, well, you're going to attack him with a chair after the match, so we don't want to hurt Seth by having you pin him, too. (laughs) Like, okay, Vince. (laughs) Cool, I guess. You know what, Vince? You let... You let me have the shield entrance for a night. That's fine. Fuck it. Yeah, uh, so Shane's gone. The Rumble was... Uh, not. This isn't just me. A lot of people on the internet considered it garbage. Um, and now on to the other person who was released and then hired and then promptly released again in Brian Kendrick. <laughs> Literal revolving door. <laughs> like the gif of Grandpa Simpson entering <laughs> the burlesque house, seeing Barton walking out. Much much like me tuning into WWE for the Royal Rumble, Brian Kendrick was in for a night and then immediately out. The only difference was I didn't have to say some weird anti-Semitic shit to do it. Yep, that's you just had to, you had to go back through the books. Him and London, and I don't know a lot about Paul London. I do know, however, that they released an entire shoot document, shoot, interview on high spots that had nothing to do with wrestling it was just them discussing conspiracy theories and it's it's kind of the same thing with uh men like jay lethal who you know after a while they keep getting jobs in the industry and you're like well i guess nothing came of that maybe i guess they're still cool and then the internet promptly tells you like no 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 they're they're not not. (laughs) uh it's the same thing that happened to me recently with uh the briscoes which you know the briscoes are great in the ring they've also got a very bad history of homophobia and yeah they said some shit i recall in 2013 jay apologizing and that was the end of it and then someone on twitter was like I can't believe they're going to be wrestling tonight. They're such homophobic pieces of shit. And I was like, well, they apologized. We're good now, right? I can enjoy the Briscoes again. They're like, yeah, there was another incident like later where they choked someone with a pride flag. And it was clearly them targeting that individual. And I was like, like, yeah, but they kept doing it. I was like, oh, no, okay, well, never mind. Guess they're not cool. (laughs) I don't think that's cool, man. I... I also maybe I was just maybe Tony Khan was just like me when all this shit started coming out about Kendrick like this is the first time I'd learned about it oh really maybe I just didn't know that yeah like that part of his history because I didn't really follow him uh before he showed up in uh NXT and yeah. then the Cruiserweight division and then I was like yeah he's pretty cool he's the Brian Kendrick I remember people talking about him and then today it's like, oh shit, they got Brian Kendrick. I know he's a pretty talented guy. Wait, what? See, I always remembered the conspiracy theory stuff. 
That was all, but I never knew it went to that extent. I always knew it was like the fun conspiracy theories, not this kind of conspiracy theories. Because, like, yeah, well, there's a the idea of like when uh, you know if people have a show where they talk about conspiracy theories, you could either be making fun of the conspiracy theories or like just kind of talking shit about them, or you really believe them. I thought it was the former. I guess it was the latter. Well, Paul London's just a weird motherfucker in general. <laughs> uh, my favorite promo, almost of all time, is still when he was teaming with uh, the American Dragon Brian Danielson, or as he called him, the American Dolphin. And it was just Paul London describing his evening on the beach. <laughs> and it was just like, I was eating a big piece of pizza that I regret now. No. <laughs> that was my daughter. She is now. She came in here to promptly let everyone know her feelings on Brian Kendrick. <laughs> no. <laughs> oh, and that's that's all there is to say about that. I do love the idea of like Tony announcing Brian Kendrick on the card, and then. Just later that day, scrolling through the replies on Twitter, and like the look of horror growing on his face, <laughs> it's ah, just like, oh fuck, no, damn it, shit, oh, I, I shit, I did it again. I did it again. At least because with Jay Lethal, I think he realized it, but because like with Brian, it did seem like a one-off, like where they bring someone in to test the waters, see how they react with the audience, and then announce the signing. With Jay Lethal, they straight up said, we have signed this man, and then everyone said, bad idea. At which point, Tony said, you're gonna hang out on Dark for a few, (laughs) and then we're gonna put you in a feud with Ricky Starks, where Ricky will cut a one-minute promo, completely annihilating you. God, it was such a good oh, promo because it's it's one of those like AEW well produced uh, like semi shoot style promos, and Ricky, of course, just saying like I'm fucking tired of these guys who were never able to draw a dime but are considered veterans coming in after me and trying to take my spot. That's not happening anymore. I love Ricky Starks so <laughs> much, man. He is every time oh. I see him I'm like it's new baby rock. And I, I I know like he is not the rock. He is the first Ricky Starks, but even then like he got the shirts. He he's he, he doesn't like he's not the same but it's same energy, same energy. Yeah, exactly. Uh did you get to watch either this week or last week's Dynamite? No, I didn't. I was busy up until right before we recorded. Uh last week's briefly um Cody versus Sammy put on a fucking banger because yeah, Cody I watched Ro- some of that. Cody Rhodes, despite what everyone says, is actually a phenomenal wrestler. And he's just real shit. He's just he's a little so shit, shit, and I love him for it. <laughs> and uh, yes. on the uh, the Scotty Moore cutter scale, Sammy Guevara broke it when he decided... Actually, that's some bullshit. When Sammy Guevara hit a cutter off the top of a ladder, um, Blake Christian, and I think it was Jack Cartwheel is his name, at PWG's Bola said, fuck you, we're gonna do it better, when I believe Jack jumped off of... Of one of the um what's that thing that Lincoln got shot in? Like the like a booth? Thank you. No, that's who shot Lincoln. Who shot the thing. <laughs> uh no, yeah. They, like he leapt from the booth and then got caught with a cutter in midair as if to look at Sammy Guevara and say, Eat my old ass, we can do it too. <laughs> Anything you could do, I can do better. Uh that match was great. I adored the lights out match with orange cassidy and adam cole and i know it wasn't everyone's cup of tea because like up until this point lights out matches have been like brutal violent affairs and this one seemed a little bit more story driven a little bit more goofy but it was also very nice and very evil because (laughs) that is the best fucking way to debut dan (laughs) housen it's just he's hanging out under the ring i hope sorry we yeah. having a show tonight. And then he <laughs> fucked off. Like it wasn't like he was he stood up, cursed him, and then fucked off to the back. Oh, <laughs> uh, I don't know if he's fully healed yet or not, but I can't wait to see him like when he's better. Did you I, see uh, that uh, 
um, AEW changed their uh, profile picture for for a hot minute. With oh the, yeah, with little Dan Housen face. I hope they are not going to have him fully aligned with the best friends because I don't want that stable to just become the here are the weird motherfuckers stable. Yeah, they all need their own individual TV time, if you ask me. Yeah, but what I liked about that match was it did not follow the traditional violent lights-out formula. It reminded me of, um, shit, it was a long time ago in ROH, I think it was Jimmy Jacobs versus Colt Cabana, and it was a, I believe it was a fight without honor, and yeah, it did have bloody, like, vicious moments, but also it was allowed to be goofy, it was allowed to kind of break the rules of what a traditional extreme rules match means, and that's what I dug about this one. I know not everyone else was a, was a fan of it, but... I don't exactly want to see Orange Cassidy and Adam Cole doing, like, big barbed wire spots. I'd rather see them do what they did. Uh, yeah, yeah, because it's like, there are certain wrestlers that really, they can make that kind of shit pop. Yeah. Like, uh, more deathmatch style. Like, for some reason, Mox is just an aficionado at it. Um, but, mm-hmm. like, when they, you got good wrestlers then the the extreme rules needs to kind of play a backseat to good wrestling. Yeah. Oh, uh, also, well, I just not, not saw... Not to say anybody who's good at death matches isn't a good wrestler. I don't want it to come off like that. Yeah. Uh, oh, also, I just saw this in the show notes. One more last little thing about WWE. Oh, the WrestleMania sign caught fire, caught fire. twice <laughs> like, <laughs> times during the show, which should just have been an omen to shut it down right there. Uh, anytime the WrestleMania sign catches on fire, like, that's a year that WrestleMania just needs to be canceled. Yeah. Look, even on years when it should have been canceled, WWE mm-hmm. said no. It was metaphorically on fire then. Yeah. Uh, and this week's news, there's something I'm going to be talking about ad nauseum later. Uh, but other than that, it was a pretty fucking good show. Mox and Yuta had a good opening. Given mm-hmm. the fact that you'd have probably had an hour to prepare, I really dug the story they told because, like, the last time Mox and Yuta faced off, Mox decimated him. He beat the shit out of him. And this time uh-huh. it was Yuta clearly, like, trying his best to prove himself once again and prove he could hang with Mox. And given that they only had an hour, I think they drafted a pretty fucking good story within that hour to do things. Uh, uh, Hangman nice. had a good segment with Lance Archer, and then Brand Brandy, uh, fucking Brandy, fucking Brandy oh. Rhodes, <laughs> Rhodes v Lambert. It says a lot when Dan Lambert's the baby face in the promo, but Dan Lambert was the baby face of this promo segment. Dan Lambert even said, like, it was this weird meta shoot thing going on where Dan just looked at her like, you know what it means when the conservative old white man who hates AEW is getting cheered over you? That's a problem. And then, of course... bunch of uh, obnoxious slut shaming during the whole thing and i'm like okay cool i guess that's the one joke you have and then just throw um, that around that's great i love that that's what happens and then they uh they lead into Paige van zant coming out and quite possibly the worst pull apart brawl i have ever seen because the brawl didn't happen Paige Van Zant kind of picked up Brandy and gave her a big old a hug, a big old hug in the middle of the ring, and then the entire women's roster emptied out. So, and this may have been intentional in Cody's little weird world of wrestling storytelling <laughs> he does, but it did look like just the entire women's roster was emptying out to save Brandy Rhodes from Im- imminent death. And then they pulled him apart, and it wasn't until like some of them started pulling away Brandy who wasn't doing anything that I realized, oh, they're trying to make this like a a Lesnar Undertaker pull apart when it's definitely not. Oh, no, no, no. Welcome to this week's Weird World of Wrestling. I'm your host, Cody. (laughs) Yes. Uh, And then (laughs) this week, watch whatever just happened with my wife and an old conservative white man look i'm not and then he came out again 
for the art or for the Lance Archer segment with Hangman, and I did appreciate this that he started talking shit, and Hangman was immediately shutting him down. Then Jake the Snake piped up, and Hangman went radio silent. He was like, "No, I'm not interrupting Jake the Snake Roberts. No, no, no. Respect where respect is due. Yeah, and it's not due for Dan Lambert. And then uh, another line Brandy had that everyone online was like, "Oh, he got him." Was when she said, "The only reason we hired you, Ethan Page, was to get." to josh alexander and i'm like oh you mean the guy who's not working for y'all because y'all could have signed him but you didn't because mm-hmm. no disrespect to josh alexander but we all know ethan page is the fucking money maker of the north baby <laughs> all ego all money uh gcw had a show <laughs> The world on GCW, and I've realized GCW is very, very good at building a cult of personality around themselves. They are very good at building excitement for a show, because I was fucking hyphy for this. And then it was just kind of alright. Which is kind of how I felt with most, other than the ones I've seen live. The ones I've seen live, like, you really get drawn into it. But watching them, like, on pay-per-view, with a few exceptions here and there... It's it's always been like a little less than what because the, they build it up so much and then it's kind of meh. And the other problem they ran into was the fact that it is their first uh, like live cable pay per view, which meant they had a time limit, which meant oh. that their main event and their co main event, so Mox and Homicide got cut short, and then the main event, which was Nick Gage returning with I believe Bulldozer Tremont to defeat the Briscoes, was like five minutes long. Holy shit! And also. Everyone online's getting hyped up of like, oh, fuck yeah, it's going to be FTR versus the Briscoes, or it's going to be like the Hardys, which I know wouldn't happen, but like big tag teams. And then it just kind of felt like, hey, guys, guess who's here? Our boy, Nick Gage. And I don't, I love Nick Gage, but he should not have main evented that show. Um, because yes, he is the person who essentially built GCW on his back. But that could have been, like, your, not co-main event, but, like, your halfway main event of the show, and the people who were getting hyped up to see the Briscoes in, like, a tag team classic wouldn't walk away disappointed. Yeah, yeah, if it's not gonna be able to deliver on that big match feel, at least give the return its due at a better place in the card, you know? Genuinely, I was hoping you'd have Mox Homicide main. And then Mox wins, holds the title high, Gage comes out, they stare down one more time, Mox Gage, I think that would be the third of their matches, I'm I'm not really sure off the top of my head, but yeah, just keep that rivalry going, because it's a fire rivalry for GCW. Absolutely. Unlike another match on this card that was very confusing, actually there were two matches that were very confusing, and... Just kind of a mess. Uh, One of them was a mess in the very good way, and that was Matt Cardona versus Joey Janela, a feud entirely based around the fact that Joey Janela invaded Cardona's home and took a lot of pictures with his wife. It was very good. Uh, That's the classic kind of shit that I want. And it was a mess. (laughs) At one point, Smart Mark Sterling shows up, and says, I've brought him here, folks. Vince. And then out comes a man in a rubber Vince McMahon mask, removes it. It's Virgil. He does nothing. <laughs> he does <laughs> just nothing. Virgil? Virgil shows up. Then Hornswoggle gets out from underneath the ring. Then they do a swerve where Chelsea kicks Cardona in the nuts. So Joey thinks like, oh, she's on my side. But it's the exact same swerve they did during um, Ciampa Gargano where he's wearing a cup, turns back. Then uh, another dude, I can't remember who it was, another dude shows up. But now he's fighting on Joey's side. Then Cardona has a masked man enter the ring, beat up Joey. He gets the victory victory off of that turns out it's brian myers so now he's got like this whole stable of x wwe guys then x Pac shows up <laughs> this is in the span of like five fucking minutes what kind <laughs> it's of everything fucking... i just described to you that is some peak 
WCW. Like, what the fuck is going on today? It was a parody of a WWE pay-per-view match. It was a yeah. parody, and I loved it's it like for that. It's like they took the Russo shotgun to it. Yeah, exactly. Then there was another match that I uh, did not enjoy, and it was Effie versus Jeff Jarrett, because it had big, carny energy over the whole thing. Um, I'm not sure how much of this was shoot, how much of this was work. Effie's very good at working and could have worked me for this. Um, but leading into it, Effie was very like adamant about, I don't want to wrestle Jeff Jarrett. I don't want to keep putting putting over like these old talents then he would retweet a video from a long time ago that says hey pay me enough i'll put over Jarrett in the middle of the ring or whatever just making fun of stuff um yeah. and the match was not bad per se it's just a whole lot of jeff beating effie with a belt effie gets a little bit of a comeback and then last minute jeff hits him with the guitar pins him and then that's it um yeah How old it, is jeff Jarrett. And Jeff Jarrett's very old, and Jeff Jarrett should have been putting over Effie here, because uh, I don't know if he's going to be coming back to GCW, and if he does, I don't exactly know who he's going to be feuding with, because mm-hmm. I don't think Effie wants to continue it particularly, and it was kind of just a weird thing overall. Um, another, uh, also, X-Pac has returned, and we are now going to get the Major Brothers Versus X-Pac and Joey Janela, which is a bizarre fucking match that I can't wait to see. Um, all fucking things. That is the thing about GCW, though, is, like, they will throw so much shit at the wall sometimes. They stick to their bread and butter where they need to. But other times, they just let Joey Janela run wild. Yeah. Uh, also, uh, Cardona got a lot of heat from me for two reasons. One, he just spit beer in a fan's face. And I'm like, bud, COVID. And two, mm-hmm. he was wearing, uh, uh, I believe you'd be a fan, a plaid vest that was red. And on the back of it, it said, fuck, Matt Fo- or, fuck Mick Foley. At, <laughs> at which point, Twitter exploded. And I'm fairly sure he got death threats over it. And, uh, of course, the next day, and it might have been a couple days later, Mick posted a video on YouTube, said, uh, Matt took a shot at Mrs. Foley's baby boy with his interesting choice of ring attire. And while I appreciate the GCW fans flipping him off on my behalf, while I appreciate uh, appreciate my friend, the savage gentleman who wanted to battle him on my behalf, the truth is, I was happy for him. It made me laugh because I felt that Matt was done wrong in WWE. He reached for that bat brass ring, grabbed it and then was asked to return it um ultimately anyone who and he kind of goes on on what he's done and all of that stuff because like i'm happy matt is now being able to kind of not go full heel and able to kind of relax and be like because he's openly now like i love gcw what we did was amazing uh which i'm really happy about but my favorite was at the end where uh, talking about his reinvention mick goes knowing i'm playing just a small part a small part in that reinvention a tiny part well that makes me happy and in conclusion fuck matt cardona (laughs) i love mick foley so fucking much dude all right but now hey you know who else i love our patrons at patreon.com slash load of bs it's the place where you can give us money and we give you the joy of giving us money We need to start posting uh, stuff once again. We're probably going to get back into Wrestling History X, our reactions to old episodes of JWF. Uh, Honestly, if people have been kind of digging what we're doing with JWF Defiance, I do want to release a video where we just kind of explain what was supposed to happen last year until some stuff that I'm actually going to have to discuss in a few kind of took us down because I had a whole lot of stories planned and then we had to cut them up and moving them around. A little bit, yeah, yeah. And you can get all that at patreon.com slash a load of BS. Blake, who we tweeting? Oh, no, I have to do that this week. You gotta do this, yeah. Oh, God. Should we just do Dust Watch again? (laughs) I like that as our, um... Our go-to if Dylan's not here. Well, not only that, like, this is our return episode, because the one we did record, the audio fucked up, so... Oh, shit. Might as well have our return be for the boy, hey, at sexy Chucky T... Why'd they replace you with that face paint guy? Why'd they replace you with Darby (laughs) Allen? Why'd they replace you with Tiny Sting? (laughs) Hashtag Dustwatch. 
<laughs> and while I finish this up, like, do you want to get into your heel of the week? Yes, my heel of the week. It's been a while since I picked this one in general, in terms of, in, like, related to wrestling, but... Oh, did you blake it up? Yeah. You blaked it. I blaked it <laughs> this week. Right now. Didn't have anything, anything else to think of. COVID sucks. I hate it so much. Hey, man, I took it down twice now. <laughs> you know, fought, fought that demon and won twice now. Oh, uh, you are in a better position than someone like Mojo Rawley is. Oh, yeah, poor Mojo. I read about that. Yeah, because he was talking about how um, he'd been battling COVID side effects for 19 months, about, since he got affected. Like, he was infected very early on, I think. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he almost died, and since then has not been able to come back to wrestling because it just destroyed his body, so. Yeah, yeah, And it's just like, uh how many stories are you going to get of people like who wanted to get into wrestling and then got COVID and then, or like up and coming people, even Mojo is like, you know, my favorite in the ring, but that really sucks to have your entire life just like pulled out from under you like that. That sucks. And I mean, Mojo was finally learning how to wrestle. <laughs> I was like, maybe one day, maybe one day, one day, maybe, well, he'll be back. And he'll mm-hmm. take those lessons with him. He's another one who's been putting over Cardona lately as well, because he was like, look, with the hype bros and with everything that went on with that, my favorite thing in the world is to talk shit about Matt Cardona. But even then, I'm very proud of what he's done. Um, yeah. I love how much I hate that son of a bitch. And you know who I hate to hate? And it ain't fucking heat. It's hatred. Uh, yeah. Oh, here we go. It's... Uh, Should I start at the beginning of a little man? And I will describe him that because he's because as Scott Steiner would say, he's got the fat asses. But he is a little insecure man named Bully fucking Ray, who Uh a couple of weeks ago. In fact, we talked about it on the lost episode. Uh, John Moxley returned from rehab with a fiery promo about how he had fought his demons, how he had returned. He told a fan in the audience to go fuck himself. It was phenomenal. And then the next day, Bully Ray pimps up and says, and it was weird because he could tell he was being a dick. But he was tiptoeing around it. And he was saying, I'm not saying he needs to, like, say I'm sorry. I just feel like he needs to, like, apologize because, like, he needs to apologize to the fans because of the time he had away in the ring. Uh, And I'm like, you know what? I do understand that, Bully, because, like, Mox not being in the ring has really damaged wrestling for those three months. And for the 20 plus years you've been in the ring it's damaged wrestling to the nth degree so i can't wait for you to apologize for fucking that that yes fuck yeah like listen uh yeah he should uh, mox though he probably should apologize for those months that he missed in the ring just because of the number of years it's gonna add on to his life yeah well let me put it this fucking way and like this is i'm heated because this is personal for me earlier like i said there was a whole lot of jwf missed last year there was a whole lot of shit that went down and it was because don't like to talk about this publicly i was having to get sober because i have a life that i like to fucking lead and i have a brain that i like to use so i spent some time away getting my mind right getting myself right and i'm not gonna fucking apologize for that to anybody because guess what the jwf that exists now is a whole lot fucking better than it was when i left um and i look i know it's our small little show but at the end of the day quality is quality and if you're fucked up it's not gonna be good and the more i just take me in this episode yes (laughs) And just the more I thought about Bully Ray in general, the more, like, fury grew in my head about the way he approaches the world of wrestling. And I know the fucking meme exists of, why ain't no heels getting heat, brother? Why don't these heels go out there? MJF should have interrupted CM Punk in his debut and ripped his dick off and got that good 
good heat. That Chicago heat. That There's no way he could get that heat again in Chicago, huh? Yeah, exactly. And I realized why he is so adamant about wanting heels to get heat. And it's because he's realizing that his style of wrestling and his style of storytelling in the ring, a.k.a. non-existent, is slowly becoming defunct because a couple of days ago i was thinking about aew and this idea of like the paradigm shift and what was the paradigm shift and everyone's like well it's because there's good matches on tv like no if they're doing their job right that doesn't mean it's a shift this just means they're doing what other people were doing wrong correctly now yeah a paradigm shift is so much more than just a change in like how you produce your wrestling and i realized that the paradigm shift aew you insisted on was a change in the very base of what pro wrestling is because all the way back to 60s and 50s all the way to today it's all been about the heat brother if you don't have a heel in that ring who fans want to see get beat up it doesn't matter the only problem is we have now moved beyond that and with AEW and even with WWE to some extent it's no longer about wanting to see a bad guy get beat up even MJF the heeliest of heely heels I don't care if he gets beat up or not. I care about seeing the story that he tells. It's no longer, pro wrestling is no longer informed by the heel. It is informed by the baby face. We don't tune in to see Hangman Page defeat Lance Archer because we want to see Lance Archer get beat up. We want to see Hangman Page overcome his anxieties like a fucking anime protagonist because that's what wrestling is. And it's once Bully Ray realized that he is becoming a sad, ineffective, obsolete human being in this world of professional wrestling, he opened his dumb fucking mouth and kept saying bullshit. And I know I'm getting mad, but like I said, this is personal because it's at the end of the day, another thing I realized a couple weeks ago is that I would probably be in a wrestling ring on this day, if it was not for the way that the Dudleys do pro wrestling, because the day I went to their school, they told me I couldn't go see any wrestling shows anymore. They said I wasn't allowed to be a fan anymore. They said, no, you got to be behind the curtain. You're one of the boys now. Nah, fuck that. Fuck uh, the boys. The mentality. boys. So I'm a, other than that I have no opinion. <laughs> um, no, 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 this is nice. It's good to vent. I know your problems with this this asshole go deep and wide. Although it's funny that you mentioned the um you want to see the hero overcoming the odds um because I think that that is that is where somewhere like AEW is moving back into an earlier, a pure wrestling form. But yeah. their story is so much meatier that it it hangs on to your to your current day kids who are used to the Game of Thrones. And that's like if you look at the storylines in AEW that have historically not worked, it's all been the stuff revolving around like heels trying to get heat. It's all revolved around like Dan Lambert trying to get heat on television. It's all revolved around shit like that. And people don't like to watch that because we like to be entertained. And the beauty, because I know a lot of people are going to say like, oh, well, what's the role of the heel now? What does the heel matter now? Motherfucker, heels can be fun now. This means you can have someone like Britt Baker, who in the past would be a vicious dentist, and she would be called Dr. Tooth Hurdy or something like that. And you, the reason you hate her is because she's a dentist, and you want to see people beat up that dentist. Now it's a sign of pride. She's a heel because of her actions, not because of who she is. Um, you got Miro, who wants to fight God. God. And it's Who so- wants to fight God so he can go home and fuck his wife? Yeah, exactly. And he, we know he's the bad guy, but that doesn't mean he has to be, like, unentertaining. And jumping ahead to one of my baby faces of the week, um, even MJF, who for the longest time I kind of defended the fact that he did a slower, more methodical randy orton style of wrestling by essentially saying yeah that's gonna get him heat brother brother is by wrestling the slower style of matches and so people are getting mad because like we want to see flips we want to see cool shit even he is now getting much better in the ring and much more entertaining and more willing to actually tell a story versus doing something that ruins the quality of the product just so it'll get him heat (sighs) 
Yeah, that's the thing. It's also just about the pro. Like, you can't go. You can't break the product, even if it means you're getting heat. Exactly. And like, that's the kind of detriment that a lot of stuff in WWE is falling into nowadays is like, we can't give the fans what they want because that will, that won't, that will, that will lose us our heat. It won't be a good story anymore. I feel like that also happened to another company a long time ago, a place, a uh, world championship. Oh, another thing, Bully Ray. When are you going to apologize for almost <laughs> killing Impact Wrestling and pretty much putting a death knell in Ring of Honor? Because from what I've seen, John Moxley's three months away from the ring didn't do much for AEW other than force other people to stand up and take that spot. Same thing with Kenny Omega. It didn't, I mean, like, yeah, there were a few weeks of adjustment, but it, I, I miss Kenny Omega gravely at this point, but also, I don't think the quality of the product has suffered. We had a phenomenal main event this week, a phenomenal main event last week. Yeah, and this is the thing that, like, AEW has tried to do since its outset. Like, one of the early statements was, we want to have some bigger profile people who can switch in and out so you don't miss them when they're gone, so you don't have the world missing, like, your rock for six months. Because you have, like, multiple stars that can fit that role it's amazing isn't it it works so well but now i'm done i i can't keep talking about it uh at gcw the fans chanted fuck bully ray and i'm like i appreciate your sentiment but don't give him attention anymore i am done with bully ray i am done with this old school bullshit way of looking at professional wrestling that forces the fan to hate the product to a point where like even uh with aew they had a period there where a lot of the heels were only getting heat and there wasn't a lot of payoff and i have seen it in the wrestle babies they get fucking exhausted at that shit because wrestling should be fun and if you focus on making too many heat spots happen and they're not fun heat spots like it's not gonna be fun for anybody and no one will want to tune in anymore because we've moved beyond wrestling being owned by savages who just say i just want to see this man get beat up because i don't like his i was about to say the color of his skin but i was like actually probably appropriate given the those quality of fans at some point fans have gotten smarter pro wrestling is no longer savagery caring about beatdowns pro wrestling is fucking anime it is comic books it is one of the most rich tapestries of storytelling that can be illustrated in the world and you fucks are forcing it to lose respect day in and day out and that's the great thing about fucking uh wrestling being a comic book because like you could still have old timers doing shit that they do though or that they were good at and just put it in the realm of a comic book like look at arn fucking anderson yeah and his goddamn clock pro he set cody's clothes on fire i I mean, even Edge, who, like, Edge has had some weird things happen, but for the while, like, I digged the concept of, literally pulled from comic books, Old Man Edge, just like this weird old motherfucker who's like, I'm gonna go one more time. <laughs> I'm, and I'm gonna turn that into seven. All right, now I'm done. Let's talk about okay. good shit. Let's talk about baby faces. The baby faces of the week. My baby face. Uh, Can I have a sandwich? Because I've got two. Uh, yeah, yeah. So my first one, um, <laughs> shocking no one, is my favorite professional wrestler of all time. And uh, it's the handsome devil himself. Fucking Hook, baby. Hook, send Hook. And as much as I do love Hook, and I think he is one of the smoothest workers I have ever seen, uh, the winner of this year's Women's Royal Rumble has nothing on his debut. (laughs) Also, I do think that's the reason Shane wanted to come back, was to make Ronda's strikes actually look effective in the ring in comparison to his. Yes, Um, exactly. Shane's um, midair whiffs. (laughs) The famed midair whiffs (laughs) of Shane McMahon. Um, But I I don't want to talk strictly about Hook. 
Because I've said enough. His presentation's amazing. Everything they're doing with him is great. The fact that he is... He doesn't have a story. He's just like this entity you get to watch every few weeks. It's super fun. Uh, What I want to talk about instead are his opponents. Because you're only as good as your opponents. And no disrespect to Bear Bronson. No disrespect to... uh, I think Aaron Solo was his next opponent, but specifically like Serpentico and uh, Fuego del Sol. Both of them are so good at just selling the offense, and Mm -hmm. it just struck me so hard during the uh, Serpentico match because... Okay, he does his stupid streamer thing and promptly gets attacked by Hook. And I was like, that's weird. We don't really see Hook attack someone before it's like usually bell rings and then hook will jump in and then make an attack and then i realized why it's because with those streamers attached to his hands every single throw hook did looked insanely more impressive because Uh. it then became like this mass it's the same reason um triple h for the longest time didn't cut his hair was because anytime he got punched a you have hair in your face so it can if someone's really, if you get one of them Shane McMahon whiffs, you can hide it under the hair, but then also your hair shows the motion. And uh, Serpentico's streamers did that work during that match. And yeah, they, I believe that's part of the reason why um, old school wrestlers kept their hair long and also so you couldn't see them calling the match. Oh, yeah, that's so you couldn't see their, their mouths. But yeah, it's that. But then also you can see motion and. All of Hook's opponents so far have really shown his like movement in the ring and the motion, and everything looks really fluid. And re- it's literally beauty. It is a thing of beauty. A Hook match is, and I want to give respect to his opponents at this point because I've seen people say like, "And Big Mike, I'm calling you out for this." Of the Wrestle Babies, uh, he's only fighting jobbers. Yes, but those jobbers are doing their job so fucking well because they, yeah they're not called jobbers because they're supposed to be bad yeah jobbers have to have talent too they're here to show the world they're here to show the world yeah the uh, worst thing you can be in wrestling is someone who is good at selling offense indeed uh, but that's that's one of my baby faces of the week would you like to dig into yours yeah my baby face of the week although segue into it we talked about dan lambert a lot scotty is it just me or did i just realize that dan lambert looks a lot like peacemaker's father i don't think he looks like his father he looks like a uh, a, a more plump version of the neighbor i think uh i think the neighbor's too old but yeah i, I get you yeah i also feel like maybe it's the same energy um but fuck, uh, <laughs> we can't John's- say dan lambert has white supremacist energy I can't if it's his character. <laughs> uh, but no, fuck. I've been watching Peacemaker. Like, uh, I got you to watch the first couple episodes today. And fuck. John Cena in that Here's the show. Thing. Yes. But also, you have been telling me for like two weeks now that you were going to get me your HBO Max password so I could watch it. And I didn't want to be the asshole, but every day I've been almost like waiting for Santa Claus, looking at my phone, waiting for that password. <laughs> and then today yep. was the day I finally got to unwrap my presents. <laughs> like, fucking, yes. Uh, you need to know I forget things. So if I promise to do something and I don't do it, then you can remind okay. me. Uh, but fuck, it's just so... I. You you made the point uh, when we were talking about it when you were watching, like, the first or second episode. It's just like, there are some actors who are big muscle men. Like, in wrestling especially, like The Rock. He can only play big muscle man. Mm-hmm. Uh, listen to our uh, uh, listen to the fun fiction episode on the Jungle Cruise that's coming out soon to listen to how much The Rock can whiff a role he does not belong in. Yeah, exactly. It's the same thing of, like, how Arnold Schwarzenegger is, like, he was the big muscle man, and he was the strong guy, but when you put him out of his element, well, you either could have, um... A kindergarten cop situation. A kindergarten cop, yeah. Or a jingle all the way. Or jingle all the way. That's a good one, actually. But he he fights in it. Like, he's he's the guy that's, like, you try to make him normal, but he's all... But, you know, at some point in the movie, he's gonna flex so hard his shirt rips. Yeah, exactly. That's why Jumanji 
works so well, which is a sentence I'd never thought I'd say about the film Jumanji. But it's the fact that, yes, The Rock, it's A, it's funny because The Rock is having to play a little nerdy boy, but the little nerdy boy is in The Rock's body, so he still gets to show range while still getting to be The Rock. Yes, although, to all that being said, John Cena is somebody who can so easily just glide from being the jacked guy in the group, even though he slimmed down a lot from when he was wrestling. Oh my god, wow, yeah. so tiny now, but like, he goes from that, and then all of a sudden there's this flop, and it's just like, oh, he's... He's vulnerable, and he's, like, it feels like you could really hurt him right now, and he's not, like, hiding behind the big muscles. Yeah. It's kind of, it's scary at first. (laughs) Well, I think that's what's so fun about this role, is it takes the concepts of John Cena, and of kind of what John Cena just represents as a man, which is just a big muscular meathead, and what it means to be a masculine individual... And what that's meant in the past and what it means today and kind of tearing it down. Like there's the uh, I called you. I love how this is just only wrestling adjacent. But there is a line uh, where he's at the bar. He's hitting on the uh, the one the woman of the team. What's her name? Um, God, I can't remember. I but uh, at my one point, her, um, um, I keep she- calling her DC uh, Black Widow. Oh, that's wrong. But it is DC Black Widow. Um, <laughs> at one point, uh, she says. You saw me coming into this bar, and you made a U-turn, and then you immediately headed back to follow me inside. And John says, well, when you say that, it sounds stalkery, which is a old, toxic, masculine way of approaching that thing. Um, at which point, she just promptly says, no, 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 the way I explained it didn't make it anything. What you did was stalkery. And I'm like, that's not even a joke. That's just correct. <laughs> that's just Amelia good. Harcourt, by the way, that's her character's name, which is great because like i really enjoy her character yep like almost as much as i do peacemaker and vigilante um that's oh that's another thing tying it back to wrestling and the concept of toxic masculinity uh a lot of people online have been coming out like very proudly of moxley and of eddie kingston because they have been pretty much in the past year kind of repainting what it means to be masculine in the world of professional wrestling and same thing with hangman as well because it is no longer a world of oh yeah well you know i i I struggle through i don't have any problems i can struggle through anything meanwhile moxley has admitted he had issues he had to take time off that he shouldn't fucking have to apologize for eddie kingston is very open about his anxieties and his depressions um uh hangman like his whole story is about thing. mental health and being aware of that. Yeah, uh, it wasn't. That's what I love about Hangman's story too. Is it wasn't about him like overcoming in the way that you would normally see a babyface overcome. It wasn't like about grinding, like you know, gritting he wasn't your teeth. Overcoming and, Kenny, he was overcoming himself, and yes. that's what made it so good. Uh, I think in uh, I may release this video soon. I may not. I did a little recap of Hangman's whole career, and I I said because um, you know Kenny went insane essentially during that whole elite run and kind of fell into that toxic toxic masculinity trap we've been talking about. And uh, it, it, one of the big lines I say during it is, Hangman realized to beat Kenny Omega, you don't have to be elite. He just needed to be Hangman Page. Yes. I'm like, that's good shit wrestling. Hangman Page could always beat like that that Kenny Omega. Yeah. He just had to realize it. And but, um But yeah, Peacemaker though. <laughs> Peacemaker though. Uh to bring it back to uh, further away from wrestling, I guess. Yeah. Um I'm just I'm really impressed with the fact that Cena can do something like that and where he is I mean, he's essentially acting like John Cena, like in those moments where he's uh, like having to hide himself behind Peacemaker's uh, persona. He's acting like John Cena if John Cena got to like doubt himself. John Cena ate John Cena. Yeah, well, like the most um, the most we ever saw was the promo ahead of his uh, match with The Rock at WrestleMania 29, twice in a lifetime, where uh, he was talking to The Rock and he said, "You." 
you did not beat me at WrestleMania. I beat myself. I got my own head. The only problem was instead of that being like a genuine moment of admitting that he had a problem, it was just him saying, I'm cool now, Dwayne. I'm going to beat your ass. <laughs> yeah. It's like, it, it just, it strikes of like hiding, you know, behind uh, that confidence, you know. Where yeah, yeah. It's very, it's a very fun show. Check it out it's if like you have fucking, it. There's one scene where he's just like, he's had a bad day, and he just falls down on his bed, and he just starts crying. He's like, you killed Rick Flagg! Uh-huh. Spoiler alerts for Suicide Squad, by the way. Look, if you like wrestling, you will almost 110% like Peacemaker. The soundtrack is custom made for Scotty Moore. It's just hair metal garbage. God, I love the band that they've got. That's called there's a Scandinavian band called Wigwam. Oh shit, I thought those were just like all Okay, so was some of it made for the show or did they just all pull from their back catalog? I think Gun just pulled from their like discography. And there's a there's a few other bands in there. A lot of what I what is described as Scandinavian glam rock. I um I had to I deleted Spotify recently because I enjoy good information regarding COVID nineteen and uh, so I'm I may have to download some of that onto my iPod which is my new source of music. <laughs> Fair, but less Spotify means more money for me to save up and go to good wrestling events in great cities like my favorite wrestling city in the entire world in a city that showed out tonight in chicago fucking illinois for what is my personal favorite match i don't even want to say my favorite match of all year because there has been technically better matches hangman uh danielson phenomenal uh both of them were phenomenal matches like i've seen really good matches this year but none of them stuck with me quite like mjf and cm punk yeah because it's something I've been waiting for for a very long time is to see both my boys really go at it. Yeah, and that's the great thing about both of them is they're both storytellers in the ring, so yeah. you were going to get a story. And it's one of those things that I was kind of worried about after Punk returned was this slow, like, he had good matches, but he never had, like, the match. He never had a uh, Daniel Bryan versus CM Punk money in the bank. He never had a John Cena CM Punk match. And that's kind of what this felt like. But also, they didn't overcomplicate things, which I really appreciate. I also appreciate Tony Khan for being smart enough to give them like a full 45 minutes to do this. Um, yes. It was, I can almost see CM Punk backstage like one day just talking to Tony, like all three of them together, and it's just like I'm not gonna have you cut this shit short. Yeah. You're not gonna cut this shit short, Tony. Oh no, they said that on commentary. They were like, he's uh we're not we're not cutting this off. If we run over top, TBS is gonna let us keep going. And I'm like, but at the beginning of the match you said TV time remaining. What happens if there's no, if there's no remaining TV time? <laughs> Uh, I feel like that's already helped. Like, I think the move to TBS is legitimately already starting to pay off. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, but like I said, it was a very simple story in that Punk was a veteran babyface in his hometown. Everything he did was big babyface over the top shit. Like, at one point he had MJF tied up in the rope, so would punch him. MJF would pendulum back and then shoot forward and then Punk would punch him again. And it was cheesy, but it was like, it was fun cheesy. It was a classic babyface heel match. And in this case, I know I just went on ranting about that for a very long time, but it worked really, really well here. And I'm very big about thinking, like, as I was saying earlier about Hook's opponents, about thinking about all the parts of a wrestling match. And I feel like if this was anywhere other than Chicago, it would not have worked because Chicago was on fire for everything Punk did. And then everything MJF did got ravenous booze and it was very yeah. good i think that is a good a good exception to like what you were talking about earlier too is like you've got to know the crowd enough to know if they will respond like that most crowds don't respond to that old school style stuff the way that people think of but like in a match like this with mjf versus cm punk who they essentially had just 
the raw power of what it meant to be a babyface and a heel because of how the crowd felt about them. Well, also, it's not a... It's not like what I was saying earlier. It's it wasn't. No one went into this saying, "I want to see MJF lose." It was everyone saying, "I want to see CM Punk win." It's the same thing. Like if you're watching DBZ, you're not you're not watching Dragon Ball Z because you want to see Frieza get his shit kicked in. You watch Dragon Ball Z because you want to see Goku get stronger and overcome this struggle, and that's kind of why. Spoiler alert, if you have not watched this match, I will spoil the finish for you guys. That's why I am perfectly fine with MJF winning, because Punk lost absolutely nothing by losing. MJF gained a whole hell of a lot. Um, It is the moment that I went from, he's probably the next champion, to he's definitely the next champion. I can, I dig, I definitely see that, and I dig it, and I'm ready for it, and I think that's what, like... Uh, it's it's what I also feel like we're heading for. Um, yeah. MJF is champion, but also, I, I don't know, there's something so pure about watching a match like that. Yeah, I mean, and also, like, for people who've been in watching wrestling a long time, you kind of tell, like, okay, they're working body parts, which is the oldest way in the book to tell a good wrestling story. But it paid off very well here of working over Punk's arms. So that way everyone at home is worried about like, oh, wait a minute, his arms fucked up. If he puts on the salt of the earth, it could be all over. We might see CM Punk tap tonight. Then you see his knee give out the knee he hits the GTS with. So that means now the big move he uses to finish matches is taken out. And you, it was fun seeing Punk respond to the issues that were brought up like, um, his uh running knee into the corner that he now does a clothesline off of which i love he 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 adjusted it because he realized hitting a bulldog every time hurts your back like a motherfucker so he just said if i just hit a clothesline i don't have to take a bump uh but because the arm that he hits the clothesline was damaged he just said fuck it and then he hit the bulldog he adjusted mid (laughs) mid moment uh it's almost like a match like this helps build MJF into a bigger star instead of, you know, trying to keep uh, CM Punk's, whatever, his legacy or something, untarnished. Oh, Punk lost absolutely nothing with this. Because it's like, he, he doesn't need to win every match to stay CM Punk. As a matter of fact, when he loses a match like this, it should be done to divert your eyes to MJF beat him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, it should be about MJF winning. It's it's like seeing uh, fucking Cell get stronger in the anime. People are gonna lose to Cell so he can get stronger, and then eventually you're gonna want to see Goku, whoever mm-hmm. the Goku is down the road, take him down. Um, yep. so, and like, when Goku's already, after Goku's already fought his Frieza, yeah, then he'll have his son do it. Yeah. <laughs> Kenny Omega's son comes back in time, and he fights with them side by side, and immediately takes out Frieza instantly. Uh, but yeah, I, I adored this match. It was very good. I enjoyed both swerves. Um, I might have been the only person on the internet who, when MJF won allegedly the first time, in my head, I immediately went, oh, MJF's definitely winning because they've, they already pulled that once in the Jericho match and then he ended up losing. And I'm like, they're not going to do that twice in a row. MJ, that's a that's a swerve within a swerve. That's swerveception. Uh, I also loved that um, the quote unquote submission where he wraps tape around Punk's throat. Punk is literally choking him, getting choked out, and MJF just turns it into a headlock. And that way, the arm is covering the tape. Bryce can't see it. Punk passes out, and then they ring the bell. And even I was at home going like, "What the fuck are they gonna do with this last twenty minutes?" I know Keith Lee's free. Are they about to just have Keith Lee wrestle the main event real quick? Um, so they even they even worked me with that. And then uh, then the match started back up. Punk was on like a house of fire, and I was just sitting waiting for for when the other shoe dropped. And it dropped with another swerve because Wardlow, who has been building up to a big heel turn or a big face turn, uh, and it could still happen, uh, inevitably actually re heel turned back helped mjf win the match 
at the very last minute. And then um, this was something <sighs> because he's such a great heel and he's one of my favorite performers to watch consistently. I pay a lot of attention to Maxwell Jacob Friedman, the humans moments. Yes. As opposed to the moments where he is being the heel. And like um, when he came out in Long Island and you could literally see emotion on his face as you could see the person, not the heel, not the character, truly being uh, like showered with adoration from his home. Like you could see that. And I was very happy for him. Same thing happened at the end of this match. (laughs) Me with my friends versus me at work. (laughs) Exactly. Um, Because at the end of the match, he pins punk and obviously on TV, it's he is selling this exhausting match. He's gone through, but you can see he has his arms wrapped around punk's head and he is just blatantly thanking him for everything he just did for his career. And that was a moment where me for Max, the person was very, very happy because like it's legit. That's one of his favorite wrestlers. And like getting to have that moment on a big stage in his hometown, mm. a place that'll really get the heat, brother. It was it was a phenomenal moment for him. And I think it's a really good step moving forward in his story, because I think if Punk won, it would have been a it would have been in wwe's terms a good moment it would not have been a good element to any story whereas this is a lot more enticing we get to find out what happens with wardlow moving forward we see how punk responds to his first loss and now fucking cell is one step closer to becoming perfect so he may destroy hangman adam page um i'm thinking uh pay-per-view max wins the face of the revolution maybe Although I can't remember, is that one for, uh, is that only for TNT title matches or is that for any title match? Because I think it might be TNT. I can't remember. Uh, I'm not that well versed in AW. Uh, their inner, their like inner workings. Let's see. Because I remember Scorpio won it last year and then it meant nothing. <laughs> there we go. Face of the Revolution match 2022. Uh, it is exclusively what appears to be for the TNT Championship. So uh, okay, ah, okay, I wouldn't give that to MJF. Maybe give it to Wardlow, and then you could pop off that feud with them feuding over that belt. Oh, uh, that would be fun. Yeah, uh, but it has been a week of wrestling. I have gotten heated up. I'm sweating. <laughs> I have gone from highs to lows. Fuck Bully Ray. What did you learn this week? Oh God, I. I learned that if you put Matt Cardona and Joey Janela together, they both become Vince Russo. (laughs) I learned that pro wrestling is fucking fun, and you don't have to have overly complicated stories to do it. Sometimes you just need a heel who is completely hated, and you need a baby face. You need Goku, and you need Frieza, or Vegeta in this case, and Frieza, and then you get to see what happens moving forwards. Because wrestling's about storytelling, it's not about heat, brother, brother. Where can people find you on the internet? You can find me at Blake A. Tanner on the Twitter, at the Dark Room Video on YouTube, and here on the BS Network. And you can find me on Twitter at ScottyMo, S-C-O-T-T-Y-E-M-O. Check out all my other podcasts or JWF Ignition. We've talked about it a lot on this episode. Uh, we've recently rebranded it somewhat to where now not only do we have JWF Ignition, we have JWF Defiance, a sister show that is actually exclusively on YouTube where we get to have matches and do some more advanced storytelling that way. It's super fun. You can find all of that on the Fight Boys YouTube channel. Check it out because there is some amazing stories storytelling coming up and i cannot wait for you guys to check it out booyah special thanks to mega ran for our theme song fighters go give some love and support to mega ran go check him out megaran.com by live 95 his most recent album and as always you can find us on the internet <laughs> because i no longer own the load of domain check out the merch table at merch.loadofpurebs.com find us on facebook donate to the patreon subscribe on youtube and remember to follow us on twitter at fight boy show chuck taylor because when you're a fight boy you're a fight boy for life